The psalmist said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This evening, I want to deal with the subject of prayer. We're going to begin in 1 Peter, and then we're going to go to the psalm of the verse I just quoted uh, to see how Peter uses the psalm of David to illustrate uh, the particular lesson that Peter is uh, giving us this evening. What do we know about prayer? What is it that we know about prayer? Well, as we have studied in the past, we know from Colossians 4.2, we are told to be devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. And that is something that we often have uh, find a little trouble on a day-to-day basis, being devoted to prayer. Sometimes our prayers are infrequent, or maybe hurried or rushed, but the Apostle Paul tells us that Prayer is a thing to which we are to devote ourselves, to be devoted to prayer. We know that God hears the prayer of the believers. We're going to read a little more about this and speak of this. Uh, So let's turn to 1 Peter 3. And as we look at this, we're going to dissect it a bit. We're going to see what God has for us today. Peter sums up in the first um, part of this how we are to live. It's almost the household code's. Uh, as some um, commentators would say, talk to the wives, talk to the husbands. In verse um, 8, he says, to sum up all of this, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, be sympathetic, be brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit, a blessing. And then he's going to go to Psalm 34, uh, and we'll we'll jump in there. But this, so you understand, what he quotes is a testimony or a statement of how God deals with his people from the the life of David. So verse 10 of, of 1 Peter, For the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. So right there, just as positive, you have four commands. You have four imperatives. What are they? They are to keep your tongue from evil, to turn away from evil. So first, our tongues, he's addressing that, and Peter does. James addresses the tongue also. Said so first, keep your tongue from evil. Watch what you say. This is a command. Turn away from the evil thing. Turn away from evil. The second command. But a third one is do good. So he has the positive and the negative. First, turn away to keep your tongue, and then do good. Very flat. Do good. The next, seek and pursue peace there. Back in verse 11. He must seek peace and pursue it. This one of whom David speaks. So there's four imperatives. Then he follows up with this, again from Psalm 34. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Notice this. The eyes of the Lord are toward toward the righteous. You say, well, the Stacey, that's not much. That's, uh, he's looking toward us? It's a whole lot more than that. The eyes of the Lord are there toward the righteous. 
He gives us the understanding that God watches over the righteous with care. He he watches over the righteous with care. And notice what else. It's not just the eyes of the Lord. It is His ears attend to their prayer. Now, some of we men have been been accused of selective hearing. Okay? No, I know. Yes. Some of you are, are shocked and horror. Selective hearing is that what you hear what you want to hear? You hear you hear the good things, desserts on, you don't hear the vegetables. That's for kids and some men like me also. The idea God his ears are attentive, he attends to the prayer. He listens for the prayer of the righteous. So let's let's look at this. So does God hear the prayer of the believer? And the answer is yes. God hears the prayer of the believer. We covered this morning the righteous one, how they are continuing to walk on the path of righteousness. Well, is there a time when God would not hear or not answer, respond to the prayer of an unbeliever? Well, let's go back up to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. It gives us a very real example. It talks about in verse 7, it says, You husbands in the same way, same way what? As he's dealing with the wives, how they are to to be kind and gentle in spirit, live with your wives in an understanding way, as someone who is weaker, talking physically, not mentally or anything else, since she is a woman, and show honor to her as a fellow heir of grace in life. I like to tell couples as I'm doing premarital counseling, you're equal at the foot of the cross. You're equal at the foot of the cross. You're a fellow heir. Be careful how you respond to your wife. Be careful how you treat your wife. To be the head as God dictates in Ephesians 5, does not mean to be the ruler over. Okay, so, but why? Verse 7, so what I want to get to, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Husbands, here's an example where God will not answer your prayer. Your prayers will be hindered because you do not treat your wife in the way that God would have you. So we do know there's a time when God will not answer prayer, and it's when we're in sin. Here, a particular example of the husband. So I think what we need to do, we need to understand what is going on in Psalm 34. Let's go to Psalm 34. I'll begin to see that in a second, this verse 8 we have on our screen. But let's go to Psalm 34 and walk through it verse by verse. And I'm going to encourage you to this week, if you can make an extra effort in your Bible study and your time with God to read the psalm over at least once a day. Psalm 34. So this is the psalm of David. He's in, a, he's in a pickle, okay? He's in a bad spot. He goes to the Philistines. He's there. He goes to Abimelech, and uh, he realized that this, um, this hospitality that Abimelech is sharing with is becoming a little more binding, uh, and that he wants, and he wants to get rid of it. So it says here, and you can read this in First Samuel, you, he, he feigns madness, or he, he's crazy, he acts like he's crazy, he doesn't understand what's going on, so that they give him freedom and let him go, because what's he worth to it? He's just a drag on society for the uh, Philistines. Um, and so, as you look at that, this is what's going on here. Verse 1. In the midst of that, from that situation, he says, I will bless the Lord um, when he delivers me. No, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What an amazing statement for this one 
David, who'd been chased up and down, as it were, seen the desert, the Judean hills. I will bless the Lord at all times. Yahweh is to be praised. He's going to be praised from my lips at all times. His praise can be continually in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The hard cry of David was to rejoice, to boast in his God. And notice the effect of it. As David says, those who are humble, not those who are being put down, but those who are lowly in heart, they will hear this and will rejoice. I will hear it and rejoice. And so, oh, magnify the Lord, the invitation. Magnify, raise up, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. The next verse, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. These are actual fears. These are perceived fears. I sought the Lord and he not the might of David. David was a mighty man. Not the might of his kingship, which would follow this. The Lord, he delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. He's speaking of those that he's calling unto and those that the Lord has delivered. This poor man cried, he says, and the Lord heard him. What I love about David as a man of, after God's own heart is one who cried out to God, but one who knew himself. He did not say that God heard him because David would, was the chosen one who would become king. In my wretchedness, in my, in my poverty of not only wealth, but of security and safety, this poor man cried, And the Lord heard me and saved him out of his troubles. Verse 6. The angel of the Lord of Yahweh encamp around those who fear him and rescues them. What a comfort in trials. Only what God allows to touch us will touch us. The angels of the Lord comfort and camp around us. See, the covenant work of God for his people the people of Israel, as David will be their leader in a day, in a a time after this. This one has experienced great trial, great persecution, and even fear for his own life. But God heard him. God heard him, and God answered him, and rescued and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them. Now, if you think about this, for those who fear God, who reverence God, there's an unseen force and protection around us. God rules that force. And so we can trust that whatever touches us by the hand of God is good. 
You say, Stacey, I've been in some bad things, and it's not, not a great thing. Well, sometimes we're in bad things. I've been in there because of my own willfulness and my sin. I experienced the consequences. It didn't always feel good, and often will put one in terror, and will put one in distress. But for the one who fears God, who reverences God, who is, tied back to this morning in 1 John, practicing righteousness, the hand of God is there. Only what touches that saint is what God allows. The angel of the Lord encamps about those who fear him and rescues him. Now, now David and God here does not say when he will rescue. Sometimes it will take a while. Sometimes it seems it delays for a while. But God will. Either now on earth or ultimately in heaven will rescue us. Verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. And really the central part of this testimony. Yes, God answers, God hears, God rescues. Here is the central part. O taste and see that the Lord is good. We spoke of pursuing good things in Psalm 4. And we found out that God was the source of all of our good, of our joy, of our peace. God is the only source. Hear, O taste and see, experience this, that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So here's the admonition of verse 9. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. They have every good thing. Sometimes what we seek, what we think is good, may not be good, so God withholds it from us. But every good gift, every perfect gift, comes down from the Father of light, James tells us. With whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Lord, if he indeed is good, he gives Good gifts. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him, there is no want. But those who are are strong, young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. It makes us reconsider about what we think, what we value as good. Because God often introduces things in our lives that through the introduction of that trial will produce a good work in our hearts and lives. The production of what is good comes a little later. There's a delayed gratification of the work of God that, that grows us, his good in us. But they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you, verse 11, children, listen to me. I will teach you the reverence, the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life, that loves length of days, that he may see good? Who is that one? Who is the one who seeks after all of these things? Come, children, listen listen to me. I'm going to tell you. Who is this one? Now, verse 11, verse 12. The one who seeks good things and length of days, 
is the one, keep your tongue from evil. This is what Peter's quoting. And your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The one that experiences good from God is the one who understands who God is and so orders his life in such a way that he pursues what God desires him to pursue. Peace, shalom. And that's with peace with other persons. Not peace for myself. Give me rest, I want rest. No, it's peace with others. The context of the congregation of Israel. It's that pursuing peace with others. It is departing from evil. It is the pursuit and the doing of good. The shunning of evil, the keeping your tongue from evil, lips from speaking deceit and lying. Now look at this next part that Peter quotes. Where here, Yahweh, God is the focus. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His, Yahweh's ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against the evildoer to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Remember how we saw in Numbers 26... The ironic errands, the ironic blessing, not ironic, ironic. The blessing, uh, may the Lord, sh- uh, his face shine upon his countenance be upon you and give you peace. Notice what, what David is doing here with the face of God and how God, the disposition, we'll call it that, uh, the term, the disposition of God is toward those who fear him and the disposition of God, how he deals with those who do, does not fear him and those who do evil. Okay, so the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. He's looking at him, gazing. God's focus is not somewhere else. God's focus is on those who love him. His ears are open to their cry. Okay? He is listening to their cry. Now his face is shut off or against the evildoers to remove and cut off the memory of them from the earth. But the righteous cry, juxtaposition here, contrast, the righteous cry... And God ignores them. No, that's not what it says. The righteous cry, and the Lord, Yahweh, hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, the one whose heart is broken from within. And it speaks of overwhelming discouragement. The Lord is near that one and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's a, that's a term. It's not broken, but just crushed. There's nothing left. Uh, uh, in the process of, of extracting oil from olives, there is the, the first oil. You hang them in sacks, and just the weight of that and it will drip out very fine oil. You take that first part off. And then the process gets a little harder as you go. After you've done all the work, and then you find that they're finally, and in the old days, they were to crush and they were to just, you know, as it were, with a machine, handmade machine, uh, they would wring out every last drip of the olive. And you have that idea of a crushing and a grinding that happens often to the spirit, even of a believer. He says, this is the one, the Lord is near that one, and the Lord saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, so you don't think that the the life of the righteous is a bed of roses. As many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Now, 
You think of a foreshadowing of what the Messiah, Jesus, he keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, but those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Now think about this. These few verses and how he, on this side of the cross, as we look back, he's talking about crushed in spirit. He's talking about bruised and broken. A body bruised and broken. And look what he does. He, he foreshadows the Messiah of Jesus on the cross. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. But what else happened to his body? He was beaten. He was bruised. He said the recognition of his face. He didn't even look like a man. This is the God who's experienced Every pain for you and for me, if we are his children. This is the one who hears. This is the one who attends. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. We may not see it in our life. We may not see justice come. But make no mistake. The judgment of God does come on those who are not only in opposition to God, but those who afflict those he loves. And it's not something that we wish for. I want them. I want vengeance and judgment. That's, that's God's. That's God's. That's not, we're not to respond and hate, and, but, but do know God will. Those who hate the righteous will be condemned. Verse 22. Yahweh, the Lord redeems the soul of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. They will never come to condemnation. This is speaking of the eternal hope of that one, the child of God, who places his faith in Jesus, here looking forward to the Messiah. This one, God redeems the soul Our bodies may be broken, we may feel the affliction, but our soul will never be touched. He redeems the soul of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And this is the psalm that Peter takes us to. When he tells us to call upon God. See what we learn here, that God leans into, hear the prayer of his righteous ones. I love it. When you have a big, tall father, I was never a big, tall father, 5'10". And you see a little bitty, and the father leans in to hear what the little one is saying. And that is the picture that God gives us. God the Father leans in to hear the prayer of the righteous one. Make no mistake, God is just and he is full of wrath against those who are wicked, but he leans in to hear the prayer of the righteous. He desires to hear our prayer. So much so that David said, I will call upon him. I will pour out my soul to him. And that Peter can tells us that, that he will listen and he will hear. And Peter admonishing us to come and to cast our, our prayers, our souls upon him. And the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, his ears attend. Let's step back. Let's make some application. 
for the child of God, for the child of God, God hears. He says he doesn't seem like he does. Well, when I'm in those times, I do, I do a little examination. I check, I do a check. I say, okay, is there sin in my life? Is there something that's going to keep me? And as to the best of my knowledge, as I confess things and, Lord, is there anything else? When I get past that point of saying, Lord, I've confessed all, anything that you've brought to me, and I'm praying and I still, still, Southern coming out, I still feel as though I, God is not listening and hearing, I trust that his word is true. See, here it is. Often we stop praying because we don't feel as though God has heard us. When God is listening and he wants us to continue, don't take his silence as he's not listening. His silence is, I am listening quietly to you. Continue to pray. Continue to bring your requests to God. He's listening. He's attending to you. Continue to pour out your heart. But I have to ask myself the question, why do I stop? Why do I stop and pouring out my heart to God? I think we must learn the principle that God leans in to those who are his own. Here's what I want you to learn. I want you to repeat with me. All right? If God leans in to hear then I must pray. Hey, repeat this with me out loud, all right? If God leans in to hear, then I must pray. We know that he does. A God who does not lie has said that he listens. He leans in. He bends in to hear. So I don't know where you are tonight. There are times when we come to, to pray and it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, we hear and read of saints of old who in their journal and diaries write, I have such a busy day today, I cannot help but spend two hours in prayer before I see any human soul. And we say, no, that's not us. And uh, some of you are like, I don't, get a, I don't get any rest. I have family, kids, husband, neighbor, roommate, work boss bothering me before I get a chance to, to even take a breath, it seems. They're texting me. They need me. And so we don't pray. We, we run out into a busy world full of stress. It's hard to seek peace when the peace is not within our hearts. I want to encourage you tonight. God leans in. Pray. Second thing I want to encourage you to do. Pray with others. Pray with others. Part of our grace groups, uh, we say that the three ingredients in Bible study... Um, so that's the word, means of grace, word. 
It is fellowship, the koinonia, that is the means of grace that God gives to us in the body and prayer. That's why we desire to have equal parts of those, because we need to pray one-on-one, two-on-one, two-two-three, four, sometimes all together, sometimes very quietly together. We need the prayer with believers. It's encouragement. My encouragement for you tonight, know that God leans into here. Where you are, he knows exactly the time and space. He hears. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears attend to their prayers. Let's bow. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your grace, we stand. Sinful as we are, yet covered by the righteousness of righteousness of Christ in discouragement and trials and just busyness busyness of life we need you and so help us to rely upon you thank you oh God that you did not save us and leave us on the earth to flounder and figure it out ourselves but in every turn in every situation you say come unto me Call upon me. I will answer. I will listen. Oh God, we cannot ask for anything more than the ear of our eternal Father. And so in our weakness, give us strength to call. We need your grace. Your enabling power to call upon you. Thank you for your love for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.